0: So this is the sixth and final week of the School of Service. We've been talking about service for some time now. Uh, And we began with looking at the life of Jesus as an example of someone who came to serve. We looked at the command of Jesus as he wrapped the towel around his waist, took up the basin, and said, do likewise, right? We looked at the rationale for service the role of service in our spiritual development, why it's important for us to serve so that we can grow as Christians. We've talked about service both inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church. And I promised from the beginning of this series of messages that I would not twist arms or use guilt to motivate I mean, when you talk about prayer, we all think we need to pray more. And I suspect that we all probably do. And we wish we had time to serve more as well. And it's easy when you talk to a group of committed Christians to lay on the guilt because we all know we want to do more. It's our desire to serve Jesus. And so I wanna be very careful not to um, feed into that. I mean, it's, it's my natural inclination to protect you from unrealistic expectations. So I want to be very careful not to preach a gospel that is simply do more work harder. Because that's not the core of our gospel, is it? it? It is by grace we are saved, right? And our work, our response, all that is response to the grace that we've received. And so we want to respond, and we're called to respond, and yet it's got to be more than just do more work harder, it's got to be embracing the enablement of the Holy Spirit to be what he calls us to be. But in spite of all those things I've just said, we always remember that we are people of the book, right? The scriptures matter to us greatly. And what they say, and especially the words we attribute to Jesus, really matter to us. And I certainly don't have the the right to downplay the words of Jesus, nor should I. And I should not find excuses to ignore the instructions that people receive from the word. And I should not find excuses for them to think, well, that was just for those times, or, or maybe that doesn't apply to me. That, that would be malpractice on my part. And so I think that the minute you start talking about serving others, you haven't explained the full story until you embrace Matthew 25. I mean, you have to go there if you're gonna be honest about serving others and how important it is. And so this morning, I would like to draw our attention to Matthew 25, and, and the part that I will read is Matthew 25, 31 to 46. These are the words of Jesus, so I would invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel this morning. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This story of Jesus underscores how important Caring for the marginalized, the poor, and the disenfranchised are to Jesus. Obviously, the stakes are high. Caring for others is the demonstration that our religion is true. Caring for others proves we have faith in Jesus. It's impossible to say that we really believe Jesus is Lord if We do not do what he says we must do. Remember, the scriptures teach us that even the the demons know that Jesus is God, but they do not obey him as Lord. Those believing demons are not saved because they are not serving Jesus, and they prove that they don't really believe that Jesus is victor. They don't really believe that Jesus has won the battle over sin and death and the grave but we know differently. And we know that Jesus is both God and our Lord and consequently must be served. But all that really for us Is entry-level stuff, right? I mean, we're six weeks into the school of service by now. We don't really need the fear of fire to propel us into service. We're already servants of the king, anxious to serve him, happy to serve him. And so my suspicion is for those of us who aren't quite serving yet or not serving to capacity or not serving in accordance with our gifts or, or not serving based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we just need a little encouragement and support. We need options to get involved. We need on ramps so that we can learn how to do what we know we need to do and what we already want to do. Because you are already motivated to serve, right? You are. Shake your head yes. You are already motivated to serve. I want to hear some beans rattling around in there. Perfect. So what I want to say to you today is put your talents to use. Earlier in this very same chapter in Matthew, Jesus tells the story of servants who were given bags of gold for the use of the business of the master. Think of these bags of gold as assets. In the story, it's money, but we have many different kinds of assets. Time, abilities, areas of expertise, specialties, experience, specific knowledge, we have assets and we have gifts that we can leverage for the sake of God's mission in the world, which we already know is God wants to bless all nations of the world through us. That's his mission. We remember Genesis 12. We remember what he promised to Abram. His promise is still true today. He wants to bless all the nations of the world through you, through me, through us. You know the story by the beginning of Matthew. The master gives assets to three servants. Two of them invest, work hard, and there is a significant return on their investment and their work. One of them hides the assets in the ground. No return, no condemnation. There is a very stiff rebuke for those who hide their assets and do nothing. There is an expectation please hear me, there is an expectation that the servants of the king will get to work. There's just an expectation from our master. I think maybe the problem for us is that that maybe we have a vision problem. Why is it that so often when we see an opportunity to serve, our eyesight is completely absorbed with the work that is involved or what it will cost us rather than seeing the possible outcomes if we were to get involved? Why is it we look at all the upfront costs and never get a vision of what could happen if we step out in obedience? Why is our vision so dim? Why is our imagination so blighted? Why can't we apply the radical optimism of the gospel of grace to the optimism of the opportunities for service that the Holy Spirit brings to our attention? I think if we could only see what small investments and small acts of service could lead to, I think we would be more anxious to get on board. I was thinking this morning as I was singing the hymns of a story that I remember from a church where I served. I heard this story some years later, but the pastor that was at that church previous to me had a habit similar to ours of visiting elderly folks in the nursing home and they would go and meet with them and pray with them and try to encourage them on some basis. And at one point in this pastor's work, he was praying with a woman and there was another woman, not one of his congregational members in the same room and he went over and prayed with her as well. And because he was visiting in that room with some regularity, he prayed frequently with both, with both ladies. In time, both ladies passed away. Some years later, the son of this lady passed away. And in the course of those years, there were some difficulties in the church he was pastoring. And there was a group of folks who got angry about something, left the church started their own church somewhere else. It created significant financial difficulty for the folks who were left behind. They weren't exactly sure how they were going to make the mortgage payments. They didn't know how they would continue to operate the way they had been used to. And the congregation was growing, but not at a pace necessary to meet all the bills. When one day, the pastor got a letter in the mail. Very surprising. Hadn't expected anything. Opened it up and realized that the son of the woman that he had visited in the nursing home had left the church, his house, his car, all of his possessions and all the cash in his bank account. And it was all that they needed to weather that time till the congregation was built up where it could sustain itself again. And I'm thinking, did that pastor ever for a second in his mind imagine the consequences for the church and for him of praying with the other woman in the nursing home room. Do do we ever think about the long-term potential implications of what can happen when we just do the next right thing, when we just see what God opens before us and we say, yes, we'll do that. Let me tell you one story I heard David Busick tell a few years ago. um, Back from the days when he was the pastor of Bethany First Church of the Nazarene in Oklahoma. This This is going back a few years. As part of the desire of Bethany First Church's initiative to reduce the impact of AIDS in Swaziland, which is a nation that has a large Nazarene mission history, a team of workers from that church were going to be sent to the country to see what can we do to make a difference uh, in this country. On the team was a gentleman named Fred. His wife was Kathy, and they just happened to be in the church service where it was announced that they were putting together a team to go to Swaziland to see what can be done in those clinics that the Church of the Nazarene and others had sponsored for many years. And so Fred was an engineer who installed oxygen lines and gas lines in a hospital right there in Oklahoma. Soon after arriving in Swaziland, the team, which included Fred, stopped at a rural outpost where Fred observed the worst clinic they had seen. The ground was barren, not one thing growing anywhere. The animals were dying because there was no water. Nurses wouldn't come to the clinic because there was no water. He learned that there were 17 other clinics without running water as well. The villages there relied on trucks to bring the only water that they had. Fred noticed that there was a broken, abandoned windmill beside the old school in that village, and he began asking about it. Residents told him the windmill had been out of service for years. Fred told his teammates, I think there's water down there. We just have to figure out how to make that windmill work. So Fred visited a local pump company, but was met with indifference. They had seen too many people create projects that were unsustainable, vulnerable to theft, Projects that seemed to be designed to make the people who did them feel better but didn't really consider the effects on the community when the projects they brought broke down and weren't maintained and couldn't last for the long haul. Fred returned home with an idea and a design in process. He had spent this whole time in Swaziland in that first village while the team went on to other places because he was captivated by this problem and this, well, that he didn't even know about when he left the United States to go there. He got home, he began to raise the $20,000 he would need to build and install the prototype and to make his way back to Swaziland. And he did that, returned to Swaziland, completed the work, installed the pump, it worked perfectly unbeknownst to Fred. Coca-Cola had already committed to assisting Swaziland with their water problem. And they heard about Fred's newly installed pump, and they loved Fred's simple, low maintenance design. Coca-Cola went and visited the same pump company that Fred had visited, and asked if that pump company could reproduce Fred's design without getting the church involved. Pump company balked. They believed that Coca Cola was only interested in the water mission for the sake of their industry, while the church was interested in tying the water mission to the clinics, and the water was tied then to the community's welfare. The pump company said they would only get involved if the church was a part of the deal. Now, a former professor from Eastern Nazarene College heard about this and got involved to broker a deal, which then saw significant funding brought to this project to increase the scale of the water initiative to a national level. This same solar-powered well concept influenced an additional $30 million of funding from Coca-Cola's Africa Foundation, and $23 million from Aid. Just a few years later, just a few years after this funding, back when Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State, she was asked what organizations in the U.S. are making the biggest impact in Africa, and she named just two, some other one, and Bethany First Church of the Nazarene in the United States, and I'm thinking Fred never saw that coming. What was it that that Fred saw? All Fred saw was one broken windmill beside an old schoolhouse in a village. That's all he saw. He wasn't even there on a water initiative. He was there to address AIDS in Africa. But he saw and he Obeyed. He didn't have a vision for what was possible, but he didn't need to see that far. He only needed to see the next step. And obedience is a one step at a time proposition. But so much is possible if we take that first step. I don't know how your service will change you if you dare to take up the challenge and get involved. I don't know where it will lead you. I don't know what will happen if you take up the challenge to become a volunteer for hospice and sit beside the bed of those who don't have many days left and read the scripture or sing to them. I don't know what it will mean if you take up the mantle to assist folks at the soup kitchen down at the MAC charity on some type of regular basis. I don't know I don't know what the Lord will call you to do or what the implications will be if you step into service. But frankly, I can't wait to see. Because I believe he's the one who is consistently able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Right? He's the one who has all the resources necessary to to accomplish his mission here on earth if we will say yes. You say, Pastor, those are extraordinary examples. Yeah, they are. But God has consistently taken our meager, humble offerings, multiplied them, and used them for his glory. I mean, do you know the one about the little boy who had a lunch with two fish and a couple loaves of bread? There was plenty of food left over after that one. Wasn't there. And all the little boy needed to be was available. The altar of God is the place where we cement decisions. And it may be this morning that after listening for several weeks, you have a sense that you have been called into service and you've been dragging your feet and you feel like you need to repent of that and get into service. It may be that you simply want to say to the Father this morning, I am available. Like Samuel said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But if you would like to spend time in prayer at the end of this service this morning, uh, we're gonna sing another chorus in just a moment. And while we do that, if you'd like to make your way to the altar or the first row of seats to pray at the conclusion of this service, I would invite you to do that while we sing this closing song together. Would you stand with me and join me in singing? And if you'd like to pray, please come to the altar or be seated in the first seats.
1: In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified in my life. glorify today in your church lord be glorified be glorified in your church lord be glorified Today, in our town, Lord, be glorified, be glorified, in our town, Lord, be glorified today. Be glorified in your world, Lord. Be glorified today.
0: Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. It is our desire to honor you with our lives, to serve you. Lord and Master. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak in ways that we understand, that you would enlighten our imagination to see all that you would do if we would serve you according to your provision. Lord, as we look at ministry displays and and talk to one another after this service, would you plant the seed of faith in us that we might have the courage to step out in service following your lead? Lord, it's not our desire to serve you in ways that we choose. It is our desire to serve you after your will, according to your will, based on your leading. And so forgive us for the days that we have not served and help us to step into the spirit-directed and spirit-enabled service you have for us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And now may the one who began a good work in you carry it on to the day of completion that you may glorify God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all the days that you live. Amen.